Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Safeguarding Voice. This podcast is produced by Education Child Protection and on each episode we explore a different area of safeguarding. Our aim is to empower professionals who work with children and vulnerable adults with information and guidance. In this episode we are joined by our very own Senior Education Consultant Alan Gardner exploring with me recent updates and changes to the Department for Education's new version of Working Together to Safeguard Children, published in December 2023. Okay, welcome back listeners. And in today's episode, I'm super excited to be joined by my very own colleague, Alan. Welcome along to the podcast, Alan. Hi. And Alan is our Senior Education Consultant here at ECP. And I've asked him to join me along on this episode to explore all of the new recent updates and changes that we've had from December 2023 for the guidance called Working Together to Safeguard Children. Now, if you're a professional working within a safeguarding context, you may naturally have heard of its predecessor, the 2018 version of Working Together to Safeguard Children. But Alan has joined us today to bring us up to speed with what are those changes and updates. If, however, you are listening as someone who's not familiar with this guidance, I wonder, Alan, if we could start with kind of a very quick overview as to what this guidance actually is. So, Working Together to Safeguard Children is the statutory guidance on multi-agency working to help, protect and promote the welfare of children. It is underpinned by the Children's Act of 1989 Mm -hmm. and the Children's Act of 2004. And ultimately, they put a duty on us of anybody who works with children to provide services for children in need and who need that support. Because ultimately every child deserves a secure and nurturing environment. And if they need need help, we're giving that high level of help. There is a greater emphasis now on getting that help early Mm. okay and and in timely timely fashion as well right help right right help right time absolutely um and as i said this applies to all organizations and Mm -hmm. agencies who have a function relating to children so a really key piece of guidance for actually any professional definitely or even anyone working in a position of trust whether it's paid or voluntary Mm -hmm. that whole interaction with children it's about how do we do that best and work well best with each other as well. Absolutely. Fabulous. And obviously that legislation, those key acts that we know inform our practice, the Children's Act of 89, 2004, really underpinning all of those key guiding principles for sure. Brilliant. Okay, so we know that this guidance has had lots of new changes from the first time it was published back in 2018, particularly around those elements of how we best work alongside other professionals, that whole multi-agency expectation and practice standards. So linking back to what you kind of opened up with there, Alan, about the whole notion Mm -hmm. of early help, Mm -hmm. identifying early, acting and responding timely, I wondered kind of where in the multi-agency stuff that bit is kind of rooted. So it's about us all having the shared vision for child welfare. It needs to be a collective vision Mm. for those improved outcomes for children. And ultimately, we have got to build relationships with the parents and carers. We have to be prompt and effective, Mm -hmm. an effective response to harm. Because when children are identified at risk, you know, that we need to be swift and act appropriately. Mm. There is the accountability of organisations as well. And there are p- policies and procedures in place 
for us to appropriately challenge. Hold everyone to account. Let's have that inclusive decision making as well. Mm -hmm. Let's hear the voice of the child. Let's hear the voice of the families. Let's work together. And ultimately, we need to promote a learning culture. So senior leaders need to actively promote and embed that learning culture that encourages local services to reflect on the practices and implement those changes as required. Mm. So I'm hearing in a lot of what you shared with us there, Alan, some kind of systemic approaches, Mm. policies, procedures that need to be in place for all staff in those Mm -hmm. organisations. Things like clear reporting, those senior leads taking a Mm -hmm. hold of, making decisions that are inclusive, insightful, training, and we know culture, we know is often a word Mm -hmm. that gets thrown around that's really important to help empower those staff. But really underpinning all of that, I'm hearing a lot about relational working, building relationships. paramount. And and that whole thing around, you know, isn't just about the relationships we have with perhaps the children or young people Mm. in our service, but you touched on there the real important role of Mm. working effectively with parents and Mm. carers as well. Um, I wonder, you know, on that bit around relational working, kind of what are the key ways and things that the guidance advocate for to help us as professionals do that bit best? It wants us to build really strong, positive and trusting relationships with parents. Mm. It wants us to be clear with our lines of communication. Let's be respectful. Let's be inclusive. And ultimately, let's take that blame out. Mm. And that's a tricky area. It's really tricky. Really tricky. Particularly as professionals, you know, we may be seeing on the surface concerns concerns that we may feel may be around parental input or capacity Mm -hmm. and the kind of assumptions then Mm -hmm. we might drive Mm -hmm. around well what are the parents not doing enough of or more of that actually is impacting those children but it isn't always that straightforward is it no it isn't and we want them to be empowered in that decision making and you know engage them in the process that they're going through because it's vulnerable time for them as well Uh, and we need to support them So practitioners, they need to be child-centred as well and, you know, work with those parents um, and possess the skills Mm. to work with parents and carers that, yes, may have challenges themselves Mm. and to understand that, respect that um, and and support that because Mm. we appreciate that there are other factors, external factors that can, can affect how parents can feel within within safeguarding situations definitely and that whole thing around blame culture yeah. and the the kind of shame that that may make parents and carers feel doesn't really give the foundations there for for good working practice does it you no. know that whole relational message you opened with about positive trusting and cooperative practice links to that element of empathy i suppose definitely and definitely open and honest practice communication yeah. sharing yeah. concerns and that empowerment is so, yeah. so important. Yeah. Are they perhaps got um, children with disabilities? Yeah. Have they got parent, you know, a, a father who's not involved as much, and mm. you know, male carers, and what what impact is that having on those children mm. and, and on the other partner in, in that relationship? Yeah, and inevitably those challenges, those difficulties, are going to be impacting the whole family network, mm. the whole system. Definitely. And Definitely. As much as it is, you know, relational working with children, that whole message of the holistic 
relationship with the whole family and having that, you know, empathy and appreciation for how those challenges may really impact sound really, really key. And it sounds like a huge theme, actually, in, in the guidance this year. Would you agree? Definitely. Absolutely. Build those relationships with your parents and carers. So starting points there, relational working. Relational working. <laughs> relational working, approaching with honesty, empathy, and building that all-important positive trust and cooperative working mm. relationships. And I suppose when we think about safeguarding in practice, you know, organisations that work regularly with children and families quite often are those people that may have the disclosures. Mm. It may be for those parents or mm. children that they are the professionals they feel safest sharing, reporting. Definitely disclosing to even and that kind of dealing well with the first disclosure then I suppose sets the scene doesn't it for future engagement with other services as definitely well. definitely and kind of on that note you know when we think about starting with the family starting with disclosure the things we can do to help that moment in time how else can we then progress that theme further particularly when we think about involving those key statutory partners so the local authority, police, health. What does the guidance kind of say around how we align or work alongside those areas in particular? Well, strong multi-agency and working is vital. It's vital to identify and respond to the needs of those children and families. And there are really clear expectations on the three levels of strategic leaders, the senior leaders, middle leaders and those direct practitioners that are involved within those families. And what we want them to be is we want them to be collaborative so that they all have that shared vision. We want to learn, learn from the evidence of best practice, what mm. has worked, what hasn't worked, why isn't it not those worked. Case those, review yeah, documents. those case reviews. Yeah. We want resources, resources that are managed effectively that, um, and they're shared accordingly mm. amongst the partners. And if they're not working, let's look at why they're not working. Yeah. Um, we need to be inclusive. That everyone is included within this you know, decision-making process. And we come back to that mutual challenge as well. That whatever level we are, we're open to challenge. Mm. That we can resolve those differences of opinion quickly. And then finally, we must also ensure um, that any information that we need to share within this system is shared mm -hmm. and that we mustn't let data protection laws be a barrier. And that's real key learning, I think, that we can all lift there, isn't there, Alan? Because there is nothing in GDPR, nope. data protection, which With actually safeguarding, prevents, you... yeah, prevents us sharing concerns, particularly if we worry about harm and significant mm -hmm. harm. And there's a lot of fear, I think, we naturally have as professionals in the sector that you know, if we do share information, if that information is without consent, what the impact of that may be to our professional integrity, mm. to our organisations we represent. But in actual fact, let's come straight back to the basics. Yeah. If we worry about risk and people at risk, mm -hmm. that trumps everything. And that's backed up very much in those guidances which inform best practice, <laughs> GDPR, yeah. Yeah. data protection and all yeah. of that stuff as well. And I think, you know, in hearing kind of how you've outlined how we work collaboratively with those statutory partners, it's almost that kind of seeing our own in-house systems, how they should align and complement those local systems. You know, your local safeguarding children's partnership, very much leading the system there. Mm -hmm. And they're, of course, formulated by those partners, mm -hmm. health, yeah. local authority, the policing teams. 
And it's really that kind of local lead that helps provide the template for us, for us to use and have a simile to in our own in-house organisational policies and procedures as well. And that kind of thing around when we are involved in a multi-agency context, making sure that we represent our policies, we have a clear, strong understanding and knowledge of those, but also how those policies will naturally align to Mm -hmm. those local systems as well. And that whole thing you ended on there around, you know, information sharing is is essential. We often say, don't we, in our courses that no one professional can ever have the full Full picture picture, of a child or family's needs. We're all puzzle builders Mm. together. And those pieces of the puzzle, those small pieces of information, you know, we need to be ensuring we're letting those partners know to help them make those wider assessments for sure. Um, And I know a lot of the work that we do, you know, is to professionals in educational settings, early years settings. I mean, how do they kind of fit into those kind of multi-agency practices and systems? So with education and childcare settings, they they have that daily contact really, don't they? They, Mm. they, Their daily contact is most with those children and families. So they're uniquely placed to identify concerns. So we need them to be aware of how children's experiences can impact their mental health, their behaviour, the attendance, the progress that they're making within the curriculum. And they are situated such that they can share that information especially if you know a child is being home educated you know let's have that shared with all the partners because mm-hmm. the guidance is really focusing now on that effective assessment for early help mm-hmm. the assessment needs to be with everyone's agreement it needs to a- take into account those children's wishes and feelings has the voice of the child been heard mm-hmm. We need to consider all those internal and external circumstances. And with this guidance, at the moment, there is now that greater emphasis on the extra familial abuse. So that's not abuse from those within the family. That's the abuse from outside outside the family. We need to recognise that there are breakdowns in family relationships and how how we work with those and talk with those different families. Um, We need to... Stop the situation escalating. We need to recognise those needs for change. Base our assessments on facts. Have the right actions, the right services there for those children. And let's have this serve as their foundation Mm. for that, you know, should there need to be further assessment, you know, those section 17 and section 47. And that kind of links really right back to how you opened that up there and that the positioning of staff and sectors that do have regular engagement with children, most notably schools, early years, you know, it's those professionals that see them every day, day in, day out. Definitely. Just that close working partnership they naturally Mm. develop puts them in a physical position of being the ones that are likely to see and hear and notice Mm. those changes, even if it's subtle changes that could Mm. be indicative of well, crikey, we have a need here, a support need we need to engage this family with because if we don't, if we leave it, quite often, as we know, that risk escalates around that child as a result. And when we think about, I suppose, you know, those organisations in particular, those with very close working relationships with children and families because of the way they support communities, it's empowering those professionals, is it not, around 
helping them to get that initial engagement and assessment of yes. need with those yeah. families right mm-hmm. right because for those families they're the professionals they're going to talk to mm-hmm. you know not necessarily someone on the end of the phone from social care but who they may be more open mm-hmm. with is someone yeah. they know Definitely. someone who's trusted familiar yeah. Yeah. all that relational mm-hmm. stuff that you opened up yeah. with and i think you know that really kind of is is a lot of the crux around getting that early help, early identification of need right, isn't it? It's yeah. empowering those professionals to trust their gut and mm-hmm. trust their instinct if yeah. they recognise issues and that initial capture of information engagement. So, so important because that tees up what may then be a future social care involvement. Yeah. Um, and you referenced there, Alan, about, you know, terms section 17, section 47. What Just for listeners who aren't familiar, what are those terms referencing? So section 17 is for children in need. Um, and we think about our disabled children that fit a lot within right. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, because they their needs are greater, of course. Um, and we need to recognise that additional, you know, the pressures that that puts on families, the challenge that they have, mm. um, and that we ensure that we get the best possible outcomes in their development and well-being. Um, so that we're enabling the child's family to continue their caregiving role. Mm. Um, So we're giving them that support. um, And it just gives them that practical support to ensure that, yeah, that child is is thriving. Um, Section 47 is is for when children are at significant harm. Risk of significant harm. So that child protection protection. element of social care in there. And, of course, both these being those key areas from children's... Act of 89, uh, the, the verbatim stuff that we often yeah. recite in safeguarding to yeah. that underpins all of this, really, all government guidance, particular in terms of working together and that effective mm-hmm. interagency practice. Yeah. Um, and you kind of touched on there about, you know, well, within all of this, really, about being child centered, mm-hmm. child led, person led in terms of the parent and carer's needs as well. Because for children in particular that do have those additional needs, you know, whether it be disabilities mm. or other care requirements, mm-hmm. that can have, you know, significant impacts upon Definitely. their susceptibility yeah. maybe to, yeah. to further yeah. abuse and harm. Um, and harm, as you kind of touched on, you know, isn't always within the home, is it, no. Alan? What's, no, it isn't. No. What's the guidance say around that kind of extra familial stuff? So it wants you... You know, a good assessment will understand the child's strengths, their interests, their, you know, and their identity and their culture that they come from. Mm. It wants you to understand each of their vulnerabilities and their challenges. It wants you to gather all the information on past experiences of, for example, trauma and the impact that that can have on that child's, you know, current experience of harm. It wants you to explore how the child's experiences within their families and networks work Mm. and how they integrate within Mm. those families. And, of course, we need to then, again, it comes back to that supporting the parents as well and the carers and really ensuring that that family network is is there to support the child. Because, yes, ultimately they can be at risk of, you know, extrafamilial harm from siblings... Um, from older children who are maybe, you know, exploited. Um, yeah, and, and younger siblings can be, you know, be at risk and, and targeted themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing around, you know, we shouldn't just be focused and considering needs in the home, but actually anywhere of that child's wider world mm-hmm. could sadly be an area where yeah. they may be vulnerable. They yeah. may 
be at risk or even just need a support from an interventional yeah, service and definitely. that kind of coming right back to mm. the initial engagement with the family exploring risk and need it's considering I suppose the whole holistic world around the child yeah. and that may mean outside of perhaps school outside mm-hmm. of the youth club mm-hmm. you know, whatever your service yeah. is yeah. that actually there is areas there that we equally need to consider and almost that I suppose widening yeah. the lens of risk including that within our initial assessments and it sounds like particularly in the updates from this version of 2023 uh, 2023 the working together 2023 is very much focused around encouraging practitioners to consider child's whole world really it is really um that's been really insightful. Thank you so much, Alan, for kind of summarising what is a huge document for us into You're very a, welcome. You're very welcome. a brief 20-minute episode. Um, and Alan, I know you've been working tirelessly for us in also creating a blog yes. um, to help staff yeah. who just maybe want to have a sit down and read some of the key summaries as well. Yeah. So you can access that for everyone who's interested. We'll make sure we pop that into the show notes as well for you. Um, and I suppose the last thing to kind of touch on, and it's no small question to end on, <laughs> is now the guidance is here, now all those updates have been put in place, what should settings do next? Right, so archive your old working together, download the new one. Yep, first and foremost. First and foremost. Have a read. Yep, have a read of it. <laughs> Update your safeguarding policies. Mm. And what we mean simply may just be that you've got to make sure that working together is it's date got the correct date. Yes, yes. Don't want to lay faux pas. No. If you are an organisation, so for schools, colleges that work with governors, ensure your governors are up to date as well. But ultimately, we want you to be effective when making assessments for early help, and we encourage you to con- have that constructive challenge. Mm. If you feel the needs of those children are not being heard, challenge. And that, of course, according to what your in-house steps and procedures yeah. are. But, yeah. I mean, good old NSPCC, mm. we know, is always there for always. advice. You know, yeah. if you're feeling uncomfortable about challenging, not knowing who or how, mm. just give them a call. Make sure they know and they can always progress things. You know, yeah. by those key messages we're always sharing to the staff we engage with yeah. as well. Um, and then, yeah, please do check out Alan's wonderful blog available on the resources bit of our website. And we will, of course, pop a link into the show notes and um, stay in touch. We'd love to hear from you all. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of Safeguarding Voice. For any documentation, guidance or resources referenced in this episode, please see the show notes. And a special thank you to Alan for joining us. This podcast is produced by Education Child Protection and was hosted by me, Carly Danes. Music production by Abby Dowsett. For more information about safeguarding, you can find us on all the social media platforms, LinkedIn, X, Facebook and Instagram. And please do listen to more of our episodes that are available on the resources area of our website, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have time, please leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you.